the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Hello, hello. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. We can talk about the markets. We can talk about investing um, and much, much more. The Dow is slipping right now because nothing matters more than the meeting between Trump and Z. Dow Jones Industrial Average is a big composite index that is looking to, for the meeting with the G20 gathering later this week in Japan. And it'll probably trade off that if both leaders come out of the meeting and said, you know, hey, he's a pretty good guy and I think we're going to work something out. Markets go higher if they come out of the meetings and go, he's mentally retarded, which is what Iran's Supreme Leader called President Trump overnight. Never, ever, ever did I think we would get to that point. But, well, yeah, we are. Check that one off the list. Donald Trump is expected to meet with the Chinese counterpart. And the tone coming out of the sit-down will likely help stocks proceed higher or break down the rally. Then, get a speech by Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell investors will look for confirmation that rate cuts could start as early as July. You get the latest consumer confidence reading. That's out now. And that's slipping a bit. That's not a great number today. Um, confidence is kind of tricky, though. It's not the easiest personal data point that you can read into and say, I got it. June consumer confidence hit a reading of 121 versus expectations of a reading of 132. So lower than expected. Um, confidence is tricky, though. I, 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 it's one of the economic data points that I don't put a ton of merit in, unless it swings really a massive direction, in large part because I've got enough for retirement, so I feel okay about the economy. But my brother who doesn't have enough for retirement doesn't feel great at all. So, And yet, it's the same economy, in theory. So Fed chairman uh, speaking this morning. Uh, it'll be kind of an interesting one. We've got the Case-Shiller Index which uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't hit this ever so slightly. Gains in home prices were, they shrunk slightly, but overall some markets are starting to heat up. Home prices in April were 3.5% higher than a year earlier. That's down from the 3.7% gain we saw in March. The 10-city composite, however, began to gain again, rising from a 2.3% annual clip from the 2.2% in the previous month. So... That's not great news. The composite index of the 10 cities is showing you that it's, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, it's, it's staying kind of right on track with the inflation. So reports look back two months, and this is a three-month running average. So going locally on the case of the report, you saw Las Vegas, Phoenix, Tampa, and Florida saw the, uh, well, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Arizona, and Tampa, Florida, saw the highest annual gains amongst the 20 cities. Vegas was up 7.1% year-over-year. Phoenix up 6%. Tampa up 5.6%. Home prices gains continued in a trend of broad-based moderation. Mortgage rates have been falling steadily this year, giving home buyers more purchasing power. 
lower rates often coincide with higher prices because buyers can bid higher and competition increases. The potential heat up in prices is not shown up in the reports yet. So um, Seattle, for the record, the year-over-year change has decreased pretty aggressively. Speaking of Seattle, Amazon Prime Day, right around the corner. Um, this is There's two days that I like to shop, Black Friday and Amazon Prime Day, whatever the stupid holiday is. It's a made-up holiday, but it's when you can get a lot of goods really cheap. And a lot of the other companies like Best Buy, who is not Amazon, they kind of jump in and they say, we're going to lower prices too. So Amazon Prime is going to kick off midnight july 15th and it's run all the way through july 16th so it's a two-day event now amazon sold 100 million products last year despite a glitch that servers uh, were offline for part of the day um if you're gonna buy expensive stuff this is mark cuban's pretty good advice uh, mark cuban he, he tends to th- say a lot of things that you can write down and say oh that's kind of smart uh, but he says if you're gonna buy stupid stuff like tvs and washing machines and stuff like that printers try to buy them on Black Friday, when big sales are. And I, I I kind of agree. So if I need a TV for like my getaway home, I, I could get it July 1st because I want it, but I should wait till July 15th and get it at a discount. Now, a lot of the Prime deals are kind of like a little on the vague side, um, so you don't really know what's going to be hitting, but they'll, they'll get some stuff leaked out. The Fire TV Stick, the Echo Show, the Echo Spot were some of the top-selling products last year. So a lot of their own goods uh, saw prices slash. Now, again, it's not just a U.S. event. It's U.K., Spain, Singapore, Netherlands, Mexico, Luxembourg, Japan, Italy, India, Germany, France, China, and Canada. Um, Even if you're in the United Arab Emirates, you can participate in Amazon Prime. So just throwing that out there for you. If you're going to spend money, it's not a bad day to do it on. Gold. Jerry, that's gold. Jumps to a six-year high on low rates, slow in economy, and heightened geopolitical tensions. Um, I think I get a discount because I do my own sound effects. But gold is jumping to a six-year high on low rates, low interest rates, slow in economy, and heightened geopolitical tensions. Um, It's not for me. So gold was back in 2014, 13.50 an ounce. Then it goes down to 2015, about 11, about 10.50 an ounce. Then it goes back up to almost 1,400 an ounce in 2016. Then it drops in 2016 back to under 1,200 an ounce. Um, now it's breaking out. So I suppose that's a good thing if you own gold. For me, this might be telling us people are starting to get fearful. And it could have something to do with that Iranian leader calling our president mentally retarded. Um... Because how do you take that? When you have a nuclear bomb, do you you stand for that kind of criticism? Or do you just blow up a whole country because uh, he called you mentally retarded? Do you remember when you were a kid? (laughs) You were on the playground and someone would call you mentally retarded. Everyone would go, ooh, those are fighting words kind of thing. So that's out there. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, again, the market's really going to be looking for that G20 meeting later this week, I think. Uh, but there's a big M&A deal. AbbVie is acquiring Algen for about $63 billion. Overall, there's some relative weakness in the S&P 500. Strength today in real estate and consumer staples. Weakness in financials and communication services. 
It's a weaker open. June's been very, very, very good, but it's kind of ending with a whimper. I'm Rob Black. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and your money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Anything you want to chat about? Pick up the phone, give me a call. Tesla has been granted a waiver on 10% tariffs against the Japanese aluminum. Interesting. Kind of not really, right? It's not the most interesting. Um, Bitcoin is kind of caught on fire again. It's on fire! In large part because Facebook has introduced a product tied towards cryptocurrencies. The price of Bitcoin rose above 11000 yesterday. First time in more than a year. Gold's moving higher. Bitcoin's moving higher. Do you see a trend here? The surge comes even as Bitcoin's trading volume remains subdued, well below the heady days of 2017 when everyone wanted in. Bitcoin was around $4,000 per Bitcoin back in 2017. Now it's at $11,000. So Bitcoin traded up about 2.2% in Facebook's cryptocurrency project Libra. Marks a new era for Bitcoin. Kind of legitimizes the sector. Um, a lot of people, small investors, were experimenting with their first investments. And they bought a little bit of Bitcoin in 2017, got burned. Price of Bitcoin in 2017 tracked closely to the search term Bitcoin on Google. So as we searched for what is Bitcoin, how do I buy Bitcoin, the stock went higher or the price went higher. Um, and right now, guess what's trending on Google? So Facebook's decision to create its own cryptocurrency called Libra. Last week's announcement uh, basically validated digital coins. Even though the new coin is very different from Bitcoin, Facebook's announcement pretty much so crushes the argument that blockchain makes sense, but not Bitcoin. So um, we'll see where this one goes. Do you remember when Bitcoin hit 20,000? <laughs> so you're going to start hearing analysts call uh, crazy things. So there is a Bitcoin trust that you can buy if you did want speculative exposure. GBTC, GBTC. It's a product that tracks the price of Bitcoin and is available from brokerages, unlike Bitcoin, which trades on separate exchanges. So, you could, I don't know. It's not, it's not for me, but I, I certainly understand people's want and desire there. Um, what else is out there? Saw an interesting story about a man who retired early. And uh, do we resent people who are like in their 30s and say, I got a million, two million, three million dollars, I'm going to retire. I'm going to get a boat and kayak and boat around the world and then when I need to go to land I'll kayak in <laughs> um, the downsides on early retirement um, and this is one that a lot of people don't kind of think about is you have to start paying for your own health care if you are typically have a career that pays for your health care um, there's a lot of identity crisis um, I, you know for sure if I were to retire and I, I have enough I could retire but I would have an identity crisis of like I would really have to pour myself into my kids or something, right? Because I kind of get pleasure getting on the microphone and talking. Um, so a lot of self-doubt when you retire early. And uh, people don't know how to treat you when you retire early. They're used to Bob at the water cooler, not Bob on a kayak. So um, I look at retirement, and I've seen more people contact me that are just flat-out bored in retirement. But I don't know. you got to figure out something on your own. I have an uncle who... Uh, when he retired, he started going to prisons and started talking to, like, death row inmates just to give them someone to talk to. 
and he uh, quit that after a while because it, it was discouraging to him. So I know you're saying, guy tried to be a nice guy, but you get the point, right? 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Uh, the Amazon Prime Day, uh, middle of July. Uh, Avi looks beyond Humira with a $63 billion deal for Botox maker Allergen. Uh, I, there's a big business going on right now in China for plastic surgeries. As we create wealth, we tend to say, you know, what do we want to do with it? And a lot of people say, I'm going to spend my money on getting a ten, ten, ten t- uh, chin tuck. I don't know. It's hard for me to say because I think I said the word ten instead of chin because I was thinking tuck. And I'm just going to shut up. So Botox, I'm not surprised. Um, it, it's kind of sad to me that people would take botulism and inject it in their skin just to look better. I mean, we live in a vain, 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 vain society. So, um, $63 billion. Now, AbbVie is known for a big HIV drug, Humira. Um, no, that's not Humira. Uh, Humira had $20 billion in revenues last year. And first quarter early sales, it's starting to run into competition from cheaper versions in Europe. And it faces expiration of its patents in 2023 in the United States, which is its biggest market. What's interesting about this is Allergen has struggled since Pfizer walked away from a $160 billion deal. And you could probably, it's probably pretty fair to say that, you know, botulism is not going to go, not botulism, but wrinkles aren't going to go away anytime soon. Um, so there's a big, 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 big market. So uh, that's one of the companies, that's one of the things that make drug companies so frustrating to own at times is when they come off patent. Um, you know, a drug company, let's say, let's say we hate drug companies. Let's say they're cliche, big, evil companies. But let's say they spend a couple billion dollars developing a cure for HIV or a cure for cancer or a cure for baldness. Uh, they get seven years of, of like exclusivity from the FDA, but then that drug comes off patent. And when it comes off patent, it's easy to say, okay, what's the active ingredient? That's why um, you see these commercials for allergies like Allegra and Zyrtec and stuff like that. But in the drugstores, if you go right next to them, CVS or Walgreens, you'll see generic uh, Zyrtec, generic Allegra. And sometimes the companies will try to like keep getting another seven years by like putting two drugs together. Zero Allegra. Um, it's little part Zero Tech, little part Allegra. It's totally new formulation. And uh, oh, and cures hemorrhoids now while also figuring out your allergies, right? So they try to keep that brand out there and stop it from hitting into uh, generic form. But it's frustrating, right? Companies spend so much money, and then when it becomes generic, they can't use the money rake anymore. So now they go out and buy other companies that may have better stuff in the pipeline or stuff that just can't really come off patent or stuff that doesn't really have competition. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Uh-huh. I'm here today. Um, joining me now, Patrick O'Hare, Mr. O'Hare from briefing.com. How are you, sir? Good morning, Rob. It's nice to be back with you. I'm doing fine. Thanks. Um, not a lot going on in your columns this week. It seems like we're waiting for, not Godot, but we're waiting for kind of a G20 meeting and see if two leaders from two countries, the U.S. and China, can come out of it with a positive attitude. 
Is that about right, or is there more going on in the market that I just don't see? No, I mean that's pretty much right. From you know, from a broader standpoint, the market is just kind of spinning its wheels right now. Um, you know, keeping in mind that it you know it had a huge run leading into this week, um, and uh, and now you have this key. Uh, what's being built anyway is a key market moving event on the near horizon and I think that you know, the market's just kind of taking some time to consolidate uh, that big move which is basically going to translate into the best month of June for the S&P 500 since 1955 if things hold up the way they are right now so um, so just taking some time to catch its breath and, and to wait and see what comes out of that uh, G20 summit this weekend. With that being said, um in the middle of the night last night, I was looking at the news as I'm sometimes a little insomniac, and I saw that Iran's supreme leader uh, called President Trump, quote, mentally retarded. Politics day are kind of pretty brutally ugly. Um, so even if we get through the G20, we still got to go back to Iran and figure out what's going to go on there. So it feels like politics might be the story of the summer this year. Well, you know, the geopolitical scene is, you know, one other element I guess you can throw into the mix that kind of like has this market in a, in a wait-and-see mode right now. You know, um, we've been down this road before, right, in terms of the saber-rattling, whether it was, you know, a few years ago with North Korea. You know, um, we've always seemingly had this standoff with uh, with Iran as well, and you know, and then going even further back is with Iraq. And so, um, so I think really the market's only going to really sit up and take notice uh, to any alarming degree, is, is, is you know if there's actual sh- you know shots fired on military personnel uh, in the in the area, you know. Uh, but if we kind of just continue to have this chirping going back and forth. It has, I think, the market will have a way of kind of just dealing with it, uh, accepting it as the the state of affairs these days. But. Uh, nothing that's going to overreact to if it's not going to lead to, um, you know, any major spike uh, in oil prices. And we did have, a, you know, a little bit of a spike in oil prices, obviously, but, you know, still, you know, trading well below levels uh, we've seen in, in the past. And so, uh, so the market is still not, uh, I guess you could say, still not overly concerned that that particular situation is going to blow up into anything uh, more than it already has. And uh, But you're right. I mean, it, you know, it's something that is going to hang out there on the horizon along with, you know, the political scene in general, as, you know, we're being reminded this week that the, you know, uh, 2020 presidential campaign is 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 kicking off, uh, you know, full steam ahead here as we get into the Democratic debates uh, this week. It's pretty crazy. Um, you mentioned the oil commodity. Let's mention another commodity: gold. Gold and Bitcoin, kind of are my flags. Pretty obvious flags. Pretty well known flags that risk is back on in the market, and people are kind of trying to park money somewhere, anywhere that they can get a return and. Uh, it's kind of like a fear gauge for me. So is, is fear coming back, and is is this move in gold for real? Well, you know, I look at it more as kind of like a this mixed indication, you know, that we're talking about in terms of, you know, where the market's trying to figure out what the next move is, right? So you have that move in Bitcoin, obviously, that's, uh, you know, one could deem to be, you know, quite speculative. But, um, but at the same time, you have, you know, the breakout in gold, six-year highs, which, um, you know, people are looking at it as somewhat of a safe haven area. Um, it makes you wonder whether, um, you know, looking at it as a store of value, 
value because there's worries about uh, disinflation leading to deflation. Um, it, it's hard to say right now, you know, but you know, the market is, is trying to find, uh, you know, return wherever it wherever it can. And and in most cases, it's, it's been able to find return this year that cuts across stocks and bonds. Uh, and uh, really, you know, until, you know, more recently, even the, you know, the dollar. And so that's something that's, um, you know, factoring in as well here as the dollar pulls back. That's generally supportive for commodity prices. So that's been another factor that's helped uh, push up uh, both gold and oil uh, in recent weeks. Now, further looking into your column that you write each and every day um, on the page one, uh, aptly titled, uh, Big Merger, Abvi is going after Allergen, and it's a huge deal, $63 billion in cash and stock. Should, we, should the healthcare sector, is it heating up? Are there going to be more mergers and acquisitions? Is that telling us something there? Well, you know, I do think it's, it's telling you something that, um, you know, the with respect to this this specific deal, I think it you know, has somewhat of a uh, you know argue you could argue that somewhat of a defensive uh, uh, orientation in terms of, of this particular deal. When you see you know Abby pay or be willing to pay such a, a sizable premium for for allergen and. Um, you know, both those stocks have come, you know, well off their their respective highs. You know, as worries about you know patent expirations in coming years, um, you know, uh, you know, weigh on investor sentiment. But um, but when you do see deals go off at such a, a sizable premium, I think it tends to get a lot of speculative juices flowing, regardless of you know what sector it's in. But in this case, we're talking you know, healthcare and then and then the pharmaceutical biotech space, and so. So yeah, it's just going to lead to to kind of some um, you know residual uh, trading action that's going to be predicated on the idea that you might see uh, continued you know uh, M and A activity in the space as you know as drug makers that worry about being able to deliver growth in the future um, try to find new avenues of growth before those drugs uh, actually come off of uh, patent protection. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? I've heard a lot more conversations about a recession in 2020. Is that something briefing.com is thinking is going to happen or a likelihood of it happening? Actually, I mean, it's it's such a a challenging market to uh, get a bead on that, right? So, you know, if you can if you can look at you know say the the shape of the yield curve right now, you know, one might conclude that uh, we're certainly headed for a softer period of growth, if not perhaps uh, a recession, you know, down the road here in the not too distant future. But at the same time, you look at the stock market here and uh, the leadership. You know, over uh, this year, I mean, it's still driven by cyclical sectors, which are going to do better in an environment where growth is is, is picking up. Um, so, you know, I think really what um, you know what our base case is simply is that you're going to see this expansion continue, but you know, most likely at a slower pace of growth than we saw last year. You know, as we anniversary the impact of the the tax cuts, uh, and as we start to see you know a pullback in both business and consumer confidence in the face of uncertainty about the, the trade uh, issues that are taking place right now. So, um, you know, recession is is not uh, in our forecast at this point, but we certainly have our eye on a period of slower growth and, and have to acknowledge that, you know, the risk is there potentially that into 2020 at some point you do see, um, you know, a decline in economic activity. Mm-hmm. All very, very good stuff. I start my day each and every day reading your page one, but you also do another column for briefing.com 
called The Big Picture. And uh, these are longer reads, and um, it's got a lot of facts. You do a really, really nice job with it. Um, I always like to cheat and say, what are you working on for the next Big Picture? What can I be looking forward to when it releases on Friday of this week? Sure. Well, well first, thank you for that, Rob. I appreciate it. Um, the uh, you know, Something I've got my eye on in terms of right now is, you know, there's obviously a lot of focus on what the Fed's going to do, and there's a, a very high expectation that you can see the Fed, you know, cut interest rates at its next meeting in July, perhaps by as many as 50 basis points, right? So, you know, uh, we're what I'll be examining, though, is whether the Fed is also kind of acting out of a position of weakness, so making it, you know, there's more of a, quote, defensive rate cut uh, that might not pack the punch that the Fed is hoping it can in terms of, you know, uplifting the economy. And, and I say that by way of looking at both the Dow Jones Transportation Average and the small cap Russell 2000, both of which have, you know, underperformed by a noticeable margin this quarter. And, you know, I wonder if that might be uh, be a harbinger of that slower growth period we're talking about and the inability of the Fed to help really, you know, drive some increased momentum in this economy with, with a, you know, 25 basis point or 50 basis point interest rate reduction at this, at this juncture. In your last big picture, you kind of graphically showed that a rate hike meant the S&P 500 went lower. A second rate hike sent it even lower. And then you commented that the Powell pivot sent the market higher. And then another Powell pivot, number two, sent the market even higher. I love stuff like that. Um, even though that's not the only thing driving the markets, you could see that it, it certainly had some strong influence for sure. Um, so thanks for what you do on that. Anything else that we need to be aware of? We've got about a minute. Well, sure. Uh, you know, one other thing to be aware of, though, is is on Friday you're going to get the personal income and spending report for May. And so while there's a lot of attention on what's going to happen at the G20 meeting over the weekend, we have to keep an eye on that report because it's going to provide the PCE price index, which is the Fed's preferred inflation gauge. And, you know, that's something uh, based on whatever we see out of that could help uh, drive, you know, the market's expectations somewhat differently than what currently is in place as it relates to the outlook for a rate cut at the July meeting. So keep a close watch on that one. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. Briefing.com is a reliable source for both national and international news, especially tied towards the markets. Um, there's a daily in play, which you could read from basically 7 a.m. until 3 p.m. of market updates and stories. There's a story stock. There's IPOs. Um, there's just a nice mix of a lot of good content there. Um, it's worthy of note. You know, in his last column, he talked about the S&P 500 trading almost 17 times forward earnings. And that's above the five-year and 10-year averages. So it's a market that's expensive. It's a market that's fully valued. I'm Rob Black, talking all things money. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Uh, uh, there's two things I wish I could do that I can't do. I can't play the piano well, and I can't sing. So anytime I find someone who could play the piano well and sing, Regina Spector rocks it. And also she's kind of got that Russian-American thing going on, which I kind of find kind of sexy. So one of the stocks and one of the companies that I want to talk about is Target, because even as Amazon's running and prepping for Amazon Prime Day in the middle of July, it's going to be two days, not one. Try to wrap your head around that when you're stoned on medical marijuana or recreational marijuana in California. Uh, whoa, I thought it was one day. Prime Day is two days? Whoa. Um, it's just a way, it's, it's a brilliant way for Amazon to kind of create a holiday. Um, 
call it Prime Day in the middle of July when people aren't typically buying stuff, but they're barbecuing. Um, but Target has done a really nice job recently of they'll do same-day delivery now. That's pretty crazy, and it's not unreasonable as the rise in like Uber and Lyfts and Grubhubs, as, as delivery is starting to become a little bit more logistically easy for some of these companies, Target's got warehouses essentially of goods in every neighborhood. Target's a major force in the world of retail. Some things you probably did not know about Target. <laughs> well, let me say something that you did not know, and you go, I did not know that. Uh, Target was founded as Goodfellow Dry Goods in 1902. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Um, there's about 1,844 stores in total. So again, if you think about it, they've got 1,844 warehouses, more or less, of your neighborhood. So it's not that tough to deliver. They don't have to, to ship it on a FedEx plane overnight and get it to your house like, um, say, Amazon does. 844 stores in total. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You now you see how this is working. 360,000 full-time, part-time, and seasonal employees at Target. I did not know that. Um, hi I miss Ed McMahon. Died of bone cancer. That one has to be like one of the worst cancers, right? Um, when it comes to important locations, Target says California, Texas, Florida, Minnesota, and Illinois carry a significant portion of their total sales. California makes sense. Texas makes sense. But Minnesota and Illinois? I did not know that. <laughs> hi You are correct, sir. Um, we've got 287 stores in California, 150 stores in Texas, 123 stores in Florida, 94 stores in Illinois. But again, think about that California one, 287 stores. California's a pretty big uh, state, um, but 287 is way more than I would have ever imagined. And just to give you an idea of how like Target works in my head, let's say I'm going to the mountains during the winter, and I suddenly forget, oh, crap, I forgot my gloves. And uh, my first thought is, I need to find a target before I get to the mountains because if I get to the mountains, they're going to charge me mountain sky high prices for gloves. You can go, you need a toy for a birthday party, you can rent a target. Um, at one point in time, they, they were thinking about changing their name to Target, which is a fine French retailer. Um, they too, a lot like Costco and a lot like Amazon, have their own brands. They've got 39 distinct brands that are just theirs. Um, so they've done a nice job with that. Um, if you look at like an Amazon and you see how many brands that Amazon has, like Amazon batteries, they sell over a billion dollars batteries under the Amazon prime brand. That's, that's shocking to me that out of nowhere, like Duracell and, and whoever the other one was like got knocked off by Amazon. So target having your own batteries and stuff. Very, 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 very smart. Um, because people associate value with off-label, so to speak. Uh, they've got 12 exclusive partnerships. They've done a really nice job with partnerships in the past. They used to hire designers to do their clothes. So their clothes, let's put it this way. Walmart, yeah, not the best uh, clothes. You know, I don't know. If LaCrosse had the alligator, like Sears had the upside-down alligator for the LaCroque kind of thing, like some companies like use a little... As a kid, I was like, oh, please, anything but Walmart clothes. But they've done a nice job with Magnolia TVs, Magnolia Sound Systems, Levi's, Oshkosh. They have a lot of nice brands, exclusive brands in their stores that you won't find at a Walmart, per se. Um, so I'm not saying go out and buy Target. It's never really hit my radar in a strong 
way that, that like it interests me. Uh, but it's a pretty big company. They're starting to get shipping totally right. And you figure out that shipping piece of the puzzle, and that can drive uh, PR for the foreseeable future. Um, worthy of note. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Do you own Target? Do you like Target? Are you a Walmart person? You know, at one point in time, I used to say this about Walmart when I was on the show 20 years ago. Walmart was bigger than their competitors 2, 3, 4, and 5 put together. Now, that's not as true anymore. Depends on who you call competitors and things like that, of course. But um, Target's, nah, yeah. I, I, I can't get into the stock for some reason. Now, Grubhub, on the other hand, I can because that's where millennials are, are going. So I told you about Grubhub earlier in the week about millennials, and uh, I think it was la- end of last week, and how they're, you know, how much money they're spending, and how many uh, two thirds of millennials between the ages eighteen and twenty five have ordered Grubhub this year, uh, or have used Grubhub. So a company called Citibank is today upgrading Grubhub because a lot of people are starting to catch on that you know. It's well off its highs. That's something you look for so as to not be buying at all-time highs. Um, but ultimately, some of the you know delivery tests that they've been doing recently have gone really quite well. Um, Citigroup calls it a buy but high risk. Uh, they think their work with McDonald's and Starbucks is beneficial to the company long-term. Stock's 52% below its 52-week high, which, again, you're looking for something that's fallen but not broken. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.